Caiaphas or Christ? Our scripture lesson is found in Isaiah, the first chapter, verses 5 to 10. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of your God, ye people of Gomorrah. Recently, my eyes caught the following headline. I picked up the article and began to read. In doing so, my eyes began to moisten, and I felt a heartache I had never felt before. Listen carefully. The article reads, Time to close down the smaller churches. Yes, the time has come. That is what the North American Division says. In the latest issue of Plus Line Access, a special eight-page newsletter for Seventh-day Adventist church leaders and pastors in the United States and Canada, the problems are spelled out, and the solution is simple enough close the local church. What are the problems? Any one of four is sufficient for the conference president to close the church and pocket the key. Number one, weekly attendance is low. The congregation does not have lots of members. Usually, most of the members are aged. Such churches should be loosed so the pastor can dedicate his energies to more populous areas. Number two, even newly started local churches should be closed if they do not get above 30 or 40 members within a couple of years. Number three, the church is not sending in enough tithe to the conference office. Close it down. Four. When a church becomes controlled by an independent ministry that is unsupportive of Seventh-day Adventist churches and its leadership, it's time to turn out the lights. Such churches are like a cancer among other churches. Now, the above four points just about include every small denominational congregation, anything that is below 30 or 40 members. Why are the leaders so anxious to close down the small churches? The reasons are obvious, yet profound in their significance. Number one, it is invariably the smaller churches which will be the most conservative. They are the ones which stand as fortresses in defense of our historic beliefs and standards. 
Number two, it is the delegates from the small churches which lead out in opposing apostasy at conference constituency meetings. Three, it is the delegates from smaller churches which are the most dangerous to getting worldly leaders elected and re-elected in the conference. Four, it is the smaller churches which want new theology pastors transferred out. Five, by eliminating the small churches, the way is cleared for the conference leadership to more rapidly take its churches into modernism. Six, by disbanding local churches, the members will have to join a larger church where, because they are in the minority, they have less influence over board and committee actions. Now, as noted in what we have just discussed, this division-wide plan was disclosed in the January 1996 issue of the North American Division publication sent to church leaders and pastors throughout the North American Division. You were not supposed to know about this plan. That is, not yet. Your concern, and ours, of course, is the plan to close the churches that the faithful are in. Once these little flocks are scattered, leadership will have more control over that which remains. But there's an interesting question. What will be done with those padlock buildings? In some incidences, they will remain closed until a conference evangelist comes along and brings in new theology-trained members. But the temptation will be great to sell the buildings which local church members in earlier years paid for. For over a decade, conference funds have been drying up as the much faithful, the cream, have been crowded out by new theology pastors. Selling off these small churches will help subsidize celebrations, youth congresses, festivals, and other activities intended to hold the shallow who think more of entertainment than they do of serious study in the inspired books or in missionary work. Now I must confess that each time I read this amazing disclosure of what the North American Division plans to do, I felt a real heartbreak pain within me. This is what is called institutional planning, and such a decision to close down the smaller churches demands an answer. Is such a plan ordained by God and baptized by the Holy Spirit? Or has Satan so infiltrated his leaders into God's ranks that it is now possible to seriously wound the small, the very small remnant that Isaiah saw that were left within God's remnant church? You be the judge as I bring to you this message entitled Caiaphas or Christ, which is taken largely from a sermon presented in 1963 by Elder Arthur L. Beats, who was faced with a situation within his church regarding conference leadership involved in institutional problems. 
please notice the parallel between then and now. And you decide where you should take a stand regarding such directives that are handed down from today's structure. I begin. I want you to be able to use your imagination to catch the meaning, the drama, the heartthrob, the intensity of this situation. For these are days of crisis, days of tremendous meaning. When we study the scriptures, we must always be careful lest we simply read the scriptures in terms of theory rather than the life situations that we are now facing. In some ways, Caiaphas is one of the most tragic figures of the New Testament. Yet, in another way, he is a man of tremendous splendor, a man who was loved and probably, in some respects, greatly adored. The historical facts are that the people stood in awe before him, for he was indeed the symbolization of the great heritage of Israel. He embodied everything that Israel had fought for, all that Israel had prayed for, and theirs was indeed a glorious heritage. Caiaphas had been chosen by the children of Israel as a custodian, if you please, of the great religious institution, that great religious organization. But now, something had happened. Suddenly, the world that then was <coughs> found itself polarized in two centers. On the one side stood Caiaphas, the high priest. On the other side stood Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The loyalties had congealed, and the crisis was on. This, I say, was a tragedy, a tragedy which had a degree of splendor in it. For this man, Caiaphas, was a very notable personage, an impressive personality. Indeed, he was the most powerful man in Judaism at the time of Christ. He had not only ecclesiastical power, but he had civil authority. All these were vested in him. So what you really have here is both a civil and a religious authority. People have always responded to those who stand in authority. There is something splendid, something awe-inspiring about a man in this kind of a position. And the children of Israel, the Jews of this time, looked to him for guidance since he was vested with such authority. Caiaphas was feared by some, greatly respected by others, but above all, he was greatly honored, for he was the high priest, and only the high priest could enter into the most holy area of the temple. And he was the one who led the religious parades in Judaism at this time. In his elaborate priestly robes, I think you would have sort of found yourself responding in a bit of awe. I think you would have said, oh, I'm proud of our high priest. I am so glad that we have such a great man at the head of our religious institution. And don't you ever think for a moment that this man was despised, for he was not. He was the symbol embodying all religious leadership at that time. 
he had under him some 20,000 priests, of which he was the head, the absolute head, head of them all. And they moved under his command. And these were the spiritual leaders of the nation who are now suddenly faced in a desperate situation. Here they are. Caiaphas on the one side, leading a great religious institution with a marvelous religious heritage, while opposing him stands Jesus Christ. One or the other had to go. Who? Who shall be crucified? Can you imagine the tension? Do you feel the drama in your own life and heart? Where would you have stood before these two opposing powers? Let's bring this home. Where would you have stood as respectable Christian people? With whom would you have cast your vote? Would you have cast your vote with recognized religious institutional authority? Or would you have accepted Jesus Christ? Now you can see the choice was not easy, was it? I want you to imagine the full impact of this. Yes, this man Caiaphas who headed the religious parades in all the Jewish festivals and on the annual Day of Atonement caused all Israel to tremble before his presence. For this was none other than Caiaphas, the high priest. Did I say tremble? Oh, yes. He was their representative before God. It was to him that God would speak and bring his message of forgiveness to the people. He actually stood between God and the people as their representative. Don't forget, Caiaphas was responsible for safeguarding the religious heritage. And what a glorious heritage these Jews had. The Old Testament <clears throat> is a mark of that heritage. There is no question but what God had been with the children of Israel. And you remember, when Jesus spoke to Caiaphas, he was not speaking in the respect or the esteem that should be given a religious leader. This is why one of the very, very devout Jews struck out with a palm of his hand and struck the Lord in the face. I say that was an intense moment. This was a day of destiny. This was a day of choice. It was a day of salvation. It was a day of human hearts and human minds hanging in eternal destiny. Tell me, where would you have cast your vote? Let me read to you John 18:22. And when Jesus had first spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with a palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Now sense the situation. Our Lord, the one whom we worship, is struck with a forceful blow. I can see our Lord weaving as the blow struck him. And then came the words, You don't speak to our religious leader like that. Caiaphas symbolizes everything that we hold dear. It is to him that we look. It is to him that the people come for advice. Now I ask you a question. What shall we do about those statements of Jesus? 
You see, Jesus had said something about the religious leaders that was not very complimentary. In Matthew 23, you will discover Christ spoke very firmly against those who were the religious leaders of the people. And of course, Caiaphas symbolized all these. So, finally the issue was drawn. The forces were polarized. Jesus Christ and the man Caiaphas, who were very devout. And we have no reason to believe that this man did not want to save the church. Caiaphas had only one purpose, and that was to save the Jewish institution, the religious institution which he represented. He said, we must save the church. Yet, on the other hand, there stood the Son of God, who also came to save the church. So you have two forces represented both wanting to save, actually both wanting to help save the church. But Jesus had often spoken concerning the heartlessness of the religious leaders of his time. And let me tell you, he didn't mince words. For Jesus had said, they make up heavy yokes and packs and piled them on men's shoulders. Yet at the same time, Jesus had countered, my yoke is easy, and their yoke is heavy. You wouldn't have liked that if you had been in the position of Caiaphas, would you? I'll say no. Would you have become angry? Would you have resented it? Would you have liked it? if somebody had called your religious leaders heartless, would you? Would you have gone along with your religious leaders or would you have accepted Jesus Christ's leadership? On another occasion, Jesus said of Caiaphas' institutional leadership, he said, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Now that was really something. Can't you just see the high priest of majesty stand up in awe and shout, this is blasphemy. For we are here and I am the high priest and I am the head of this religious organization which opens the kingdom of God to mankind. But this man Jesus comes and says that we shut the door in the face of the people. Christ had also said that Caiaphas and the religious leaders were more interested in power and prestige and status than were the shepherding of the flock. Although there were 20,000 religious priests paid out of the temple taxes, Jesus said, <clears throat> Look at the people. They have no shepherds. There is nobody interested in people. All are serving the religious institution. <coughs> but they have no shepherds. Now that really hurt. Preachers don't like to have those things said about them. I wouldn't like to have that kind of thing said about me. These religious ministers didn't like this. And the people didn't like it either. Even the mother of Jesus didn't like it. She went and told the brothers of Jesus to please go and tell Jesus not to speak against the God-appointed religious authorities. Do you sense the drama? Do you see the tragedy developing? Do you feel the suspense? There's an old Negro spiritual that goes something like this. Were you there 
when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you? Are you there today? Am I? Believe me, we have before us the very destiny of our souls. For Jesus had said of these leaders, Whatsoever they do is done for show. Oh, that really hurt. And Jesus continued, Places of honor at the feasts and the chief seats at the synagogue are taken by your leaders, and they do it for show. Finally, is it any wonder that Jesus and the high priests would have the spiritual forces to bring this to a head? It was a fearful thing that Jesus had even dared to attack the financial structure of the church. It was a terrible thing to do. You could do almost anything else, but you must never attack the financial structure machine. Because after all, the total support of the institution is dependent upon finances. But Jesus had said, you eat up the properties of the widows while you say long prayers for appearance sake. And you are going to receive a severe sentence. Believe me, those were hard words in attacking the financial structure. The facts were the religious institution required more and more and more to keep its structure moving, and Jesus attacked it. Jesus also had something to say about their mission program. Now you don't speak against missions, but Jesus did. He said, you travel over sea and land to win one convert, and when you have won him, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. What a statement! Is it any wonder that these two had finally met? Such a situation could not go on any longer. This had to come to a showdown, and everybody knew it. All the people in Jerusalem and in the surrounding territories recognized the moment of decision for the moment of destiny had come. And so are we going to have to stand before the Almighty God and before religious institutions and give an answer. Christ had tackled them right where it hurt when he said, you are not at all ministers of spiritual insight or spiritual values. You are blind. You are blind guides of the blind. You are falling into the ditch, and the people are falling into the ditch with you. You swear by the sanctuary. You swear by the gold. You swear by the altar. You strain off a gnat. Yet, you gulp. The organization of the temple is more important to you than God. You are tombs covered with whitewash, full of dead men's bones. Is it any wonder that these two had to meet? This could not go on. Is it any wonder that a decision had to be made? Made between the Christ and Caiaphas, both wanting to save the church. For Jesus came to save his people, and this high priest was also ordained to be a custodian of the welfare of the church. Christ had said, 
all of your religious organizations, all of your 20,000 priests ministering in the temple, all of your financial structure and your spiritual leadership is absolutely blind. And your organization and your house and your institution has become absolutely desolate. For God is not in it. What a blow! So you can see, there is going to have to be a meeting. Something has to give. Someone has to go. Jesus said, look, look at your temple. It's forsaken of God. The temple that totally symbolized their religious heritage. The temple which was dear, oh so dear to these people. Yet Jesus had said, It is forsaken by God. Yes, the temple house is needed, but there needs to be a loving family within it. But now, the temple is desolate. The institution, the organization is necessary, but only as a means in helping to shepherd the people. You have a house, and you are engaged in a thousand religious ministrations. But in so doing, you've lost contact with the needs of the hearts of the people. Your house is desolate. This is a terrible thing, isn't it? A terrible indictment. Now, finally, no one can keep silent any longer. The high priest speaks. He speaks to those who have gathered to make a decision about this man who claims to be God. Listen carefully. He says, you know nothing whatsoever. You do not use your judgment. Ah. Can you see him there, as he stands, Caiaphas the high priest, a man of great judgment, a man of tremendous administrative ability, beyond anything that you and I can imagine? Hear him speak. The trouble with you is that you don't have good judgment. It is more to your interest that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should be destroyed. What a verdict! And thus the decision is made. But I ask you, where would you have stood? The decision has to be made. It was religious institutionalism versus a personal human being, Christ our Savior. It was in effect an organizational religionism versus the gospel. It was organization versus a person. It was religious heritage against God. It was vested interest against Christ, for the earthen vessel had become more of the object of devotion than the treasure within the vessel. And herein lies the everlasting tendency toward idolatry on the part of human beings. For man is basically religious and wishes to make himself secure within religious institutions. And therefore, he hides himself from every presence of God. Laodicea thinks that she has everything, but Jesus Christ stands outside the door and knocks and knocks and knocks and knocks.
Laodicea has made a decision. But the question is alive today for you and for me. Just as it was 2,000 years ago, because Caiaphas is very much alive in every one of us. You don't need to look back 2,000 years. The issue is before us while I speak these words. It's alive for you, and you will have to make your own decision if you have not already made it. You see, anti-organization is of the rudest folly because we need it. But when the organization becomes the means as well as the end of our devotion, then we have crucified once again our blessed Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it can happen today just as verily as it happened then. John A. McCain, a very great spiritual leader as president of both Princeton Theological Seminary and the Presbyterian Alliance, told his Presbyterian Convention a crudely emotional approach to religion is preferable to religious formalism and institutionalism, which is purely aesthetic and orderly and lacking in dynamic power. And he also said, one of our serious troubles in the church today is that it has become legitimate to be institutional. The deep feeling and enthusiasm no longer exists. The moment the church becomes completely programized and depersonalized, it becomes a monument to God's memory and not an instrument of divine power. A monument to God's memory instead of a place where God's people once again receive the Holy Spirit, and where the living God once again takes possession of his people. Where Jesus Christ once again takes precedence over the institutional structure, where the institution becomes the means toward helping the people rather than people becoming the means of supporting the institution. The problem is everlastingly with us. The answer, of course, is not a crude emotionalism nor an anti-organizationalism. The answer is to utilize the total function and for one purpose, and that is to the glory of God. Tell me, what could have happened if Caiaphas, the high priest, had said, look, we are confronted with God. Let us accept him. Oh, what a power that would have been. What a help and inspiration for the repentive souls that could have been. If, we could on, if he could have only said, let's use this institution, let's use this money, let's use everything in order to glorify God, but let it be God who is the center. And if that high priest had knelt and said, I now have my priestly robe, baptized by thy presence. Unquestionably, this is what the church needs today. And I add, this is what the Seventh-day Adventist church needs now. All institutionalism 
becomes corrupt with itself. It begins to build and build and build until we have forgotten the purpose of its building. And we seek security in everything except God himself. Again, I ask, would you have been on the side of Jesus Christ? Would I? When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, let us remember that there will be a unity of our hearts, the binding of mind to mind, the binding of heart to heart, the binding of spirit to spirit. Institutionalism can provide us with an outward, outward uniformity, but only the baptism of the Holy Spirit can give us an interior union of our spirit. Oh, that God would help us to understand that religious institutionalism can become the greatest tool of the devil. Dr. Henry P. Van Dolsen, who wrote in the United Church Herald states, the Holy Spirit has always been troublesome to officialdom and to institutionalism because he is unruly unpredictable and radical. The call to the ministry is to be alert, to discover every moment of the living, confounding, uncontrollable Spirit of God in what someone has called his sovereign unpredictability. We want security but we don't want to be shaken out of our false securities. When our false securities are shattered and we stand helpless before a superior person who vitalizes our lives, suddenly we recognize ourselves to be under the guidance of the Spirit of God. When you are under the guidance of the Spirit, you cannot control it. And of course, institutionalism is built on control. So there is an everlasting problem here. Dr. Ernest Wright of Harvard writes, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has always been at war with human institutionalism because the institution becomes idolatrous, self-perpetuating, and self-worshipping, because church members who become synonymous with the new birth try to make the Spirit follow law. Christian history has shown that the charisma has a way of breaking out of all bounds, often achieving the unexpected and of violating institutional propriety. And this is what Caiaphas had to face. How can you attack an institution and still retain it? How can you shatter that which you love? I happen to be one that has been reared in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and all my tenderest, emo tenderest emotions and feelings are tied into Adventism. But let me tell you, this can also become my greatest curse and damnation. Why? Because I begin to trust in it instead of the living God. Because if I begin to think that the structure is what makes me a Christian, instead of a personal friendship with my God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit which makes me sane and vital and alive, shall I say I become a bit uninstitutional?
I think I can say concerning institutions that I love none better than Adventism. I was nurtured in it. I was cradled in it. I loved it. But this can also be my damnation unless I know that all of this is but for one purpose, and that is to bow my head and my mind before the living Jesus and say that unless Christ lives within the institution, it has become only desolation and hostility, nothing but empty institution. Oh, that God would help us today to understand once again the issues and understand them clearly and to make right choices. The people 2,000 years ago had to make a tremendous choice, and their choice was a devastating decision affecting their eternal destiny. If you have never gone through such an experience, you don't know what I'm talking about. But those of you who know what I am speaking about realize the gravity of such a situation. It has shaken you completely until you have experienced death. Because the very thing in which you have trusted has been shattered before you and you will never be the same again because the basis of your life now is Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. In closing, let us meditate upon the inspired words that you find in the book The Upward Look, page 315. God has a church. It is not the great cathedral. Neither is it the national establishment. Neither is it the various denominations. It is the people who love God and keep his commandments. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, Matthew 18, 20. Where Christ is, even among the humble few, this is Christ's church, for the presence of the High and the Holy One who inhabiteth eternity can alone constitute a church, unquote. Today, we are facing a crisis. Is it time to close down our smaller churches? Again, we ask, is such a plan ordained of God and baptized by the Holy Spirit? Let us pray that the institution will not close the smaller churches in our midst whose members are dedicated and loyal to Adventism and the God of heaven. Let us pray. Dear God, in the name of Jesus Christ, thy Son, we plead that thou would send the mighty Holy Spirit with Pentecostal power and conviction upon the leaders of thy church today. Give them, we pray, heavenly wisdom to make right decisions and to feed and nourish the flock as God's shepherds. And, O oh God, forgive them, we pray, for their failure to be thy shepherds. Open their eyes to the needs of this hour for we ask it in his name. Amen.